Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. What's going on, U-Turn friends? You know that when we have somebody really good on the show, I come get them again, and I bring them back. And that's why Jason Gaddis is back on the show. He's a dad, he's a husband, he's a student, he's a teacher, he's a speaker, he's an author, he's a nerd when it comes to human behavior. Obviously, that's the kind of person we need to have on this show. So we want to talk today about relationships as a vehicle for growth. We want to talk today about how to step into more worthiness with yourself, how to use relationships as a vehicle to be who you want to be, all the good things. So Jason, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming back on the show. Yeah, Ashley, so good to see you and be here. Thanks. Yeah, I I couldn't think of anyone I'd feel more comfortable just eating my lunch with and chatting about relationships (laughs) (laughs) sitting here in your world with the way that you help people and support people. What are some things like in the post-pandemic era that you're seeing in particular that people are navigating as it relates to relationships and all Mm. the growth that can happen there? Because I feel like the pandemics sparked a lot of people who weren't happy to be really unhappy and to part ways. And some people who were into each other to be really into each other and to get married. So I feel like it was very polarizing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me what's been going on in front of your eyes. Yeah, I see that. And I see more kind of mental health challenges for sure, with young people in particular, but also, you know, very high-functioning business owners. And it's COVID ripped off some sort of Band-Aid and exposed all of our stuff a little more. What was maybe just under the surface had less places to hide. And and then with the polarizing nature of politics and the way people get and got and the way that we are now in a divided pretty divided world. Yeah, I I feel it seems like there's kind of two groups. Like one group is more bitter and wants to be right and makes some other group wrong. And then another totally different group is, hey, can we continue to fight for togetherness? And, you know, we're in this together. This is all hard. And can we be a team? And I think we see that in the microcosm in people's marriages and relationships as well. Sorry, I'm muted. I feel like I was reading in your bio, and I know we've spoken before, but it was interesting for me to see that you had sworn you'd never get married and you'd never have kids, and yeah. you kind of call that choice one of the biggest masterpieces of your life. So I feel like a lot of people have a deep fear of commitment, and I'm curious to hear your take on what shifted for you and why do you think it's maybe so important for people to start thinking about commitment? Because I know there's some people listening that if they're honest with themselves, they haven't fully committed to their own marriage. And then there's other people listening who are dating and they don't want to commit. And there's such a fine line between having high standards. I I walk this all the time and Mm -hmm. being patient with another human and being in the imperfection. So anything you could share about that? For sure. Just to start with standards, I think it's actually pretty key that we have some standards, but I see people create, particularly growth-minded people, create a big long list of unrealistic standards. And I just tell them to pare it down to one, which is that the person's got to be into growth and development, and that's it. Because when the going gets tough, because it's going to get tough, 
in a long-term relationship of any kind, you want someone who will look in the mirror and take responsibility for their part in the fight and will come back and understand their neurotic behavior has impact on you and is sensitive to your feelings and can hold space when you're upset. And you, you want someone like that, not someone who's six feet tall and weighs X amount of pounds and looks this way and has this kind of resume and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, like we're all kind of neurotic and dif difficult, honestly. Mm -hmm. So put a standard in place that's, I just need this person to be willing to work through the shit with me. Yeah, right. That's the most important one. Really outside of the Some people are probably listening and thinking, yeah, but I'm not attracted to the, that person or. Yeah. Fair point. Obviously there's got to be some chemistry. That's it's sort of, you don't, we don't pursue friends when there's no chemistry, right? Why would we pursue someone when there's no chemistry or attraction? So of course we want the base level attraction where we're like turned on and we feel excited to see this person and there's they in our eyes they feel sexy to us but not just physically like there's a to me the way sexier thing is someone who's in their body and in their heart and can communicate their feelings that's very sexy okay that i want to ask you about because i feel like kind of again speaking to the people who are committed but not fully committed because i actually think that's quite common right there's a lot of yeah. people right now that are in a container that is called marriage but yeah. they actually feel one foot out. I want to talk about being chosen. Mm -hmm. I feel like my life lesson with dating and partnership has been around feeling chosen. Mm -hmm. um, I had a very loving family. My dad lost everything when he was when he was younger and I was like five. He lost everything, meaning his business, his money. Yeah. Not everything because we were still there. But yeah. he wasn't very regulated from that. And because of that, most of my adolescence, he spent pursuing kind of like his rebound and his recovery from that and mm -hmm. redoing his career. I never felt chosen, but it's not anything he did. It's more my own sure. meaning that I made. But I feel like I've been attracted to men who don't make me feel chosen. And I know mm -hmm. that's my own inside job and my own work, yeah. but there's also something outside of me happening. So I would love to just hear what your take is on these life lessons that some of us choose romantically. Mm -hmm. What is going on here? Does it really matter? Because, you know, you were talking about having an attraction to somebody who's somebody's growth driven. But if you don't feel like they really want to be with you, they choose mm -hmm. you. Yeah. There's a lack of commitment there. There's a foot out. Mm -hmm. And that can be really hard to recover from. You know, I hear from a lot yeah. of folks who need to force their partner to propose. Do you know what I mean? I hear about that all the time. That's I just sad, yeah. And talk to me about that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I might be preaching to the choir here because I appreciate your awareness that there's a connection between your history and what you what we tend to attract, right? The patterns that each of us, it's like our curriculum that we need to learn and work through as adults based on our history. So that's huge that you are in that space because I think that's the first step is to help people see that, you know, if if there's a pattern that repeats at least twice, you know, it's like, we want to start getting curious. And the third time it happens, we're like, okay, this is, there's something about me that I need to shift. And so let me speak to that piece first. And then I want to come back to the one foot in, one foot out type marriages, et cetera. Um, I, I mean, for someone who's not feeling chosen, for example, yes, look to your history. There might be an injury with your parents that was chronic, maybe like your case where it was just it wasn't like a trauma that was done to you. It was just more of a choice a parent made. And then it was there was impact on you, obviously, as a young person. So look there for sure. And then, 
you know, this sounds obvious, but it's choose choosing yourself and not for a moment. There's, it's amazing what, when we long to be partnered, there's a willingness to forgive shitty behavior too much. And so, or put up with or tolerate the one foot in one foot out person too long. I always say, look, when the moment you start seeing signs and you see it a few times, that's your cue that if you could interpret the signs, not in a mean way toward yourself, but it's like their behavior is essentially saying they're not fully choosing me. What is it about me that says yes to keep choosing them? Why would I keep choosing someone who's basically not choosing me? I was actually coaching some guy last week on this exact issue because he broke up with his girlfriend and he's, bro, there's so much potential there. She's so attractive and she's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, but can she work through conflict? And he's like, I mean, sometimes. And I'm like, okay, was that who you want in your life? Someone who sometimes can work through the shit with you? And And he kept defending her. Right. And justifying her behavior. And I was like, dude, from right over here, you got to start. Here's what I want you to say out loud and say it to me as a practice. I'm choosing crumbs and scraps. And that's the kind of relationship I want. I just had him say that out loud. He was like, oh, fuck, dude. And then he was like, no, that's not what I'm choosing. I'm really, and I'm like, bro, if you want what you say you want, which is I want a long-term, badass, secure, strong partnership, then you actually are contradicting yourself because look at your behavior right now. You're hanging around waiting for some woman to choose you. She's not going to choose you, dude. Stop setting your clock. Maybe next week she'll call me. I'm like, no, that every day you stay stuck in this relationship with the, you're closing, you're keeping the door closed to that future partner that actually could co-create something beautiful with you. So okay. That's, a yeah. couple questions there. I feel like there's such a range of choosing someone, right? It's not so absolute, right? It's hard to feel you're chosen or you're not, right? Like we yeah. all are juggling multiple priorities. So it can be sure. kind of hard. Like, for example, my last relationship, an amazing guy, really loved the guy. And he's building a startup. He's really busy. And as the relationship progressed, he had less and less time for me. And I just started to feel like in my heart, how can I continue this relationship if I'm not getting enough of his capacity yeah. now? How yeah. can I assume that is what's going to come for me later? Like, how can I trust yeah. that this Makes is going to be meeting my needs yep. later? So in a lot of ways, I felt chosen because the guy loved me and I loved him and we would make time for each other when we when he could. But it was really mm-hmm. on his terms. And he didn't mean that in a malicious way. Sure. So it wasn't so black and white. It was like, okay, I know he chooses me, but he also has these things at the forefront of his life right now. When you choose a partner, there's so many different things happening in front of you both. Mm-hmm. I ma- imagine some years one person's busier and they're kind of taking the front seat of the relationship and the priorities, vice yeah. versa. So when we think about this idea of being chosen, what do you think are some of the ingredients that make it really feel true and worth fighting for? Because I know relationships might not be hard work all the time, but they require effort. Um, So yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk about your example. So if you, to me, this is the defining feature of making it doable and making it work is if he, you guys had that exact same dynamic, let's say, okay, startup, he's super busy. You're important to him, but you're not the highest priority because his business is the highest priority, right? That isn't inherently a problem if you feel like a priority. 
if you feel considered, if you feel cared for, no matter if it's you spend two hours a week or 30 hours a week together, or you are staying together at you know your place once a month, it, it kind of as long as you feel like a priority. Mm-hmm. Even and you could be third on his actual list if if we went down his list of priorities, but if you feel so cared about, that's what matters. But feeling loved, I'm not talking about he loves you. That's different. I'm talking about you feel prioritized, which has to do with you, right? Your needs, which is a very yes. thing to yeah for him to stay up later with you and say, you know what, I care about the impact of my me being gone all the time on you. What's that like for you? And you know what, I will make time for you in my 80 hour work week in the middle of the day even or the morning because I prioritize you and us. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like that's the difference, right? There are many times in that relationship where no matter how much love there was there, I could see him choosing an extra hour or two of scrolling and work that didn't need to actually exactly. be chosen. Yeah. And those were the moments where I was like, you really could be choosing me right now and it wouldn't have any detriment to this work priority. And that was what I think amongst a couple things, which again, such an amazing person that I really loved and have no judgment on. But that was ultimately what made me think, you know what? I've made it this far. I'm 36 years old. I haven't picked a life partner yet. I could have married three guys that are all great, but I know that there would have been something genuinely missing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... I feel like there's people that they need to raise their standards, whether they're married, whether they're in a partnership, whether they're single. Other people need to lower their standards. They're so perfectionistic. They're projecting something surreal onto people. I feel like I'm one of the people that needed to even raise my standards, which I had them pretty good, but more, you know what? I deserve somebody's attention. Yes. Period. At the level that I want. And it's not too needy and it's not too much. I think a lot of people right now are going to be hearing us talk and they're going to say, damn, I'm not really getting my needs met and my relationship, in my dating ship, in my situationship, whatever the freaking ship is floating on by, (laughs) they're not getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. And it can feel really intimidating to speak those because there's a risk of losing the relationship. There's a risk of being told that they're not going to meet them or even worse than being told it, being shown it, you know, really proof is in the puddings. Actions. Yep. Yeah. So can you, can we talk a little bit about how to communicate your needs and just raising your standards, because my understanding is that some people feeling chosen for them is going to look one way, for others, it's another, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have a couple friends where I'm like, I would never feel chosen in that situation, and I could never move forward. But for them, they're moving forward, and they're happy, and they're all good. So I love your pointing out the specificity of your own palette of what mm-hmm. you need. Yeah. But what would you share with people right now who, if they're being honest, they're listening to us thinking like, you know what? I don't feel seen. I don't feel chosen. I don't feel like the person's growing for me in a way that's really honoring who I want to be with somebody. How do you even start that conversation? Yeah, I think what gets my attention, and this happens in my marriage of 16 years, is when I'm, quote, too busy or too stressed or too distracted, my wife will say things like, I don't feel like a priority. And that immediately gets me my attention. Because that's not the impact I'm wanting to have on her. And for her, she knows it's not about hours. It's not about like how much time she gets with me. It's about a feeling that we're connected. And I give a shit about her feelings. I've got her back. If she's going through something hard, I'm willing to drop things in my workday or whatever and show up for her. You know, so it's a feeling. So I would say the same thing to all of those people in situationships or 
whatever ships, dating ships. It's it, it, I, I always say there's four core needs, and these come from adapted from Dr. Dan Siegel, you know, which is really around secure attachment, which is we all want to feel four S's. We want to feel safe, emotionally seen, soothed, meaning we repair after conflict, and supported and challenged. Those four S's, I think, are the basis. They're like the foundation of all the other needs that we have. And so when we sometimes people feel like they're too needy, their needs are too much. I'm just like, yeah, but if you just distill them all down to just the base four, most humans want that. Mm. Most men want that. If you're in a heteronormative relationship, even a kind of an avoidant guy doesn't want to feel judged, doesn't want to feel criticized, doesn't want you to blame him for everything. So he probably wants the same things. And so we frame them, we can advocate for them rather than as needs, even though they are needs, in my opinion. To me, they're non-negotiable in my life, for example, with friends and my partner. And then I have to offer and give those as well. That's an important point in an equal power marriage, for example, or a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, if we advocate for them, though, we say them as wants. I want to feel a little more seen here, like you know what I'm going mm -hmm. through. I want to feel... A, a little more emotionally safe. I feel physically safe with you. You're not going to hurt me, but I feel if I bring my messy um, emotions to you, I'm not totally sure you can handle them. Mm. So that has me not feel totally emotionally safe with you. Is that something you want to increase your capacity around? Mm. Or do you think I'm the problem here as, you know, because I'm so emotional? Mm. Um, so that'd be a good conversation. Then uh, I want to feel soothed, meaning like, look, when we get into a snag, it is absolutely not okay with me that we um, don't deal with it, that we just kind of pretend it didn't happen. And we have a glass of wine, we go to sleep and we kind of forget about it. That's no longer okay with me. I want to feel motivated and I want to feel your motivation that we get back to a good place. And that might require going to therapy or coaching or learning some tools or listening differently. So I want that from you. And mm -hmm. then the last one is support and challenge. Look, I want you to believe in me. And I want you to challenge me to be a better person. Mm. And I want to do the same. I want to offer all this shit to you as well. I think I am, but I'm open to your feedback. What do you think? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Some people, one of the things that really has stuck with me, do you know Lisa Bilyeu by any chance? I don't know her, but I know of her. Okay. So she lives up the street from me in LA and I just love that woman. And she was saying the other day, she was saying people underestimate, and it sounds so obvious, selection matters. Some people are trying to get these needs met through communicating with somebody that does not have the capacity, the self-work, right. the growth, or the interest in being yeah. someone who hears them when they say, hey, I don't feel important. I don't feel like a priority. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are someone who someone selected that hears that and thinks, oh, that's an alarm for me. I don't like that. That's about yeah. selection. She selected someone who thinks that yeah. way. So sometimes I feel like people are trying to make a piece of art out of a little piece of poop. You know what I mean? Not to demean right. someone. You're right. But, and so I guess the question is like in the early phases of getting to know someone, which arguably could even be a year or two in, right? You could mm -hmm. still be feeling like, you know, I'm a Gemini. So there's 14 me's. And luckily I've gone to enough therapy where it's not two-faced as much as it's multifaceted. Yeah. But how can we get a sense? Because I even find when I'm dating, there's men that I might like, and I might want to say to them, yeah, it's really important to me that I feel like I'm held in your awareness because I've dated a lot of guys that are doing big things in the world. Mm -hmm. So I feel like sometimes I want to tell these guys like, hey, 
this is what I'm looking for, but I almost don't want to tell them that because I want to see how they show up for me. Yeah, sure. You don't want them um, to put on a show. Is that what you right. mean? Yeah. I don't want to put them to be like, let me text this girl because she, I like her kind of, but this isn't the real me. Yeah. Um. So essentially what I want to ask you is like, how do we get to know someone? What are some of your perspectives on those early phases and even the later phases? Because sometimes later, maybe you're really deep in a relationship, maybe you're even engaged or whatever it is. And you're starting to see some things that you're like, wait a minute, I didn't see this before. And this is really important. Yeah. First, I want to back up just to the making art out of poo kind of comment. I just want to say yes to that. I, too many people, unfortunately, ask me, Jason, how do I get my partner to work with me here? And I'm like, you don't. You need to just accept this is who I chose and you need to either move on or learn to adapt inside of a person who has no interest in offering those four needs, for example. So yeah, in terms of getting to know someone, I like actually the strategy, you know, I'm not a dating coach, but I always tell people you can't lose. I mean, you can, but let me frame losing here in a second. You can't lose if you're willing to talk about what works for you and what doesn't in a partnership early. And by meaning you you can lose, that's that was a disclaimer, and you want to lose those people because it's a great sieve, a great filter to scare some people off. So I tell, I encourage people to share your values up front. I value growth and development. I value when things get hard, I hire a coach, a therapist, whatever. How about you? And I actually like your statement, which is, I want to feel held and considered by my partner, future partner, like I'm a priority and I don't, I'm not over here as some needy person in a, in a negative sense, but I'm you know, I have some basic things that work for me and things that don't. And one of them is someone who's kind of over time neglects the relationship. I'm like not interested in that. I want to start a family or I want to build a life with someone. And if that turns someone into a kind of a phony, like I, my guess is you strike me as someone who's going to sniff that out pretty fast. Yeah. And some people don't have maybe sensitive sniffers, but um, I think, you know, it, again, it's actions. So, when put in a stressful situation, actions are always going to speak louder than words. Mm. So I always also encourage people to do something stressful sooner than later, like travel, do something where there's a big financial commitment, where it's going to require a conversation, have hard conversations about money and debt and trauma and things like that to see if you're going to scare someone off. And again, I like to scare people off because it's, I don't want I don't know. I don't want to go to second base with those people. Okay. So this is really interesting because I feel like there's something kind of wounded, especially when you're getting to know someone. I get for the people listening that are in like a longer commitment. It's okay. If you're not having certain conversations, it's game time, friends. Let's just be fearless and share what we have to share. Yeah. But people, as you're getting to know someone, there can be something I think kind of wounded about being like, here's all my things. What, you know, what are your yeah. problems? Let's get this out of the way Yeah. versus getting to know each other. I like the idea okay. of travel. I also feel like that could be too much too soon, right? I don't want to share a bathroom. Speaking of making art out of poop, <laughs> I don't want to share a bathroom in a hotel yeah, with a guy after that. two to three dates. So that just sounds like not the vibe. How do we decide when it's time as we're getting to know someone? Uh, and this is for anyone who you know, maybe you're listening, you're at partnership and you haven't had those bigger conversations that could potentially scare someone off. Go have them if it's time. But even if you're in the newer days, let's say, mm -hmm. 
What would be your feedback on putting cadence on that? Because I like the idea of let's get this shit figured out. And if it's not a party, let's go. Like, I got to go. I got other things to do. I'm going to go wash my hair. (laughs) You know, like I've got other stuff on my calendar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that as as we get older, we're more willing to have, we're posturing less and we don't have time. So we're just like, let's get right to the point here. I'm into you. You're into me. Great kind of thing. I agree with you on the pseudo wound worship of like first date, you know, hey, I would have sexual trauma. Hey, I, you know, got bullied in high school or, and it was really traumatizing and it still fucked me up. I I don't, I'm not talking about that level of revealing. It's sort of like people have to earn our trust. And I think there is some oversharing that I would discourage early on, but I'm talking about more as revealing enough about yourself that reveals who you are and what you want. You know, being open about this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Okay. So, what about someone? Because we don't, there's still a level of uncertainty in life. So, to fall Mm -hmm. in love, to make anything happen in your life, you got to face uncertainty. I feel some people right now, they're married to someone that is open to this or that, open to having kids, open to moving. Maybe they don't like it's, they're open to the idea. What am I getting at? Like, How do you settle into, I'm telling this person my needs, whether it's a Mm -hmm. friendship or, you know, a relationship romantically. Mm -hmm. And they're responding with openness, but it's not clear. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you... Like, they're just kind of listening and going, oh, okay, uh uh-huh, cool. How do you really register that it's, it's registered? That's a good question. I mean, some of us, this is where we need to be a little more sophisticated in just reading body language and also, you know, that... We have to watch the fantasy response that we're looking for. We want the person to be themselves. And I think that is a little bit of a red flag moving in the orange flag direction for me is if I get kind of a lackluster and I don't, I'm not with someone who's going to follow it up with, wow, tell me more about that or isn't curious and wants to know more. Can we go a little deeper there? What do you mean? And help me clarify. And yeah. And I think some people like you're like, oh, they're open to the more clarity we can come into dating with, I think the better. Because mm-hmm. some people say, I'm really open to whatever because they don't want to they want to be chosen or they don't want to lose an opportunity. But you're going to end up wasting your time with people that don't want what you want. Right. So if you have some non-negotiables, like I want a family, for example, that's not negotiable for me. Mm-hmm. Say that. So some people don't want a family and that's a good, again, go cool. You're next. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to date you again. Beautiful. Okay. I feel like there's something about being unapologetic and kind of on the note of you saying, let's get into stressful situations. I can see somebody listening to this. And if they take that in the wrong context, it's like clusterfuck hour. Oh, whoops. We tripped, fell and ended up in Tahiti together and not ready for to make yeah. art out of this poop in the bathroom. I don't know. Like, <laughs> there Again, there might, let me, I mean, I could qualify it a little bit, but yeah. it's like an escape room. That's fun, but it could be a little stressful. You know, what could you do that's feels just mildly stressful, go to the climbing gym and rope up and see, you know, how you handle each other, do a yoga class, go to the gym together. I don't know. I'm just saying stress will always push forward people's true true colors. And even talking about stressful things like family, money, fears can be enough. Like just having conversations about stressful things or Mm -hmm. politics or the war or whatever, you know? 
Mm, I love that. I feel like sometimes people feel judged. And as you're getting to know someone, whether it's a new friend or a romantic partner, they might say something that feels kind of black and white, kind of extreme. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't really believe in that. Or I don't really like that. And it can be kind of easy to want to like jump ship what I would say is too soon. Mm -hmm. People are a little touchy. They're a little scared. They're a little fear driven. How do we lean further in or what would be your wisdom around that process of bringing someone new into your life, be it a new friend, a new business partner, a new who says something that you're not sure about, you don't have enough information to go off of, is this how they think and who they are? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people listening probably would get benefit from like direct communication tools on like, how do you even start to think about that and navigate that without just checking that person off your list? Yeah. I mean, I think the world could use more of what you're saying right now is like more kind of understanding and more curiosity. So when someone lays down their beliefs, their fors or against, I would follow that up with not writing them off, but oh, tell me more about what has you feel so strongly about that. Yeah. I'm so curious about when did this start for you? Where does that belief come from? Tell me how you got it, you know, started there. What do you, how do you feel about the other side? And would you be willing to have a conversation with them? Are they just plain wrong? You know, you can just ask loads of questions before you write someone's belief system and off. Cause sometimes when you're asking questions, they don't even, they've never thought about it. Mm. And it can feel really good. They can feel really, start to feel really seen by you that you care so much and you're taking such a strong interest in who they are, you know, where they come from. Okay. That's a really good, and that kind of lends itself to the topic of safety. Cause I feel like a lot of people, maybe they don't feel safe in the world in general, which kind of makes sense. It's a crazy planet that we live on. Yeah. But, you know, as much as safety is an inside job, and I feel like there's enough self development um, graphics on Instagram to remind us of that, which is really useful. It is something that happens also in the responsibility and in the domain of how someone else shows up. It's a dance, right? It's a co-creation. Yeah. So from a communication connection and livelihood standpoint, how do you recommend, I love what you just said of leaning in and being curious versus like jumping out. How do we create more safety for people or create more connection with people that we want to start to invest in? What are some maybe ways of thinking that you would suggest or just, yeah, anything you have to say around that? Because I think being able to create safety is probably one of the best tools to make more money in your business, have better romantic relationships, have better friendships. I just feel like this idea of state safety is so huge. Yeah. Have better sex. Yes. All, all the things. Yeah. I love the question because, again, I feel invited into a safer world when you ask questions like that. So can we be safe people? How do we do that? I mean, let's start with the frame that we're social mammals first and remember that we're pack animals and herd animals. So if you're the asshole in the herd, you know, there's an impact on the herd when you're just kind of bulldozing your way through conversations or not listening to anybody and there's impact. And that's, you know, hopefully you listen to that kind of feedback. But can we be the kind of creatures that are soft places to land that are where people want to come rub their furry bodies up against ours because they're like, wow, you feel, I feel like I can open up to you. I feel like you're not judgy. And, and those being a really exceptional listener and a super curious person, I think is all it really takes to be super safe is to ask great questions and to listen deeply until people feel understood, to take a genuine interest in who they are and where they come from and what they're about, what their hopes and fears are. 
Like you can do that on an airplane sitting next to a stranger and you can just listen and ask the person questions. And, and then dating, that to me is, that's one of the things that happened with my wife that was different for me. She and I went to a Folks Fest concert outdoor show and it was like our second date and she was just insanely curious. And I talked more that night to a woman than I ever had basically my whole life. And I was in tears at some point because she was so interested in my interior. Mm. Now, granted, I was also willing to, I was so fed up with keeping women out. So I was willing to let her in. I felt she just had a way about her that felt safe to me and and very inviting. And she Mm -hmm. asked great questions. And I was like, damn, I can't, you know, I can't not answer these questions. Okay. So I think a lot of people, like, that's a really good point is like interior on an interior level, you are willing to lean in. I think a lot of people think that they're willing. And then when it's game time, they're, they want to back up. Yeah. Are there any indicators for women with men with women, whoever identifies as whatever gender, just like human indicators that this is somebody that's done enough work that you can trust, that you can invest that time leaning into? Yeah. They, are again curious interested in our interior life they listen to us they know how to validate feelings it makes sense you're sad right now or it makes sense you're scared about the world they're not trying to fix it and problem solve like fix problem solve people generally are undifferentiated people they're generally in their heads using more left brain features logical linear stuff which isn't again bad or good it's not a problem but it's an indicator of someone who might really struggle to understand you and your interior, especially your emotional life. So mm-hmm. people that have done emotional work, what's Sorry that? Interrupt. It's somebody who feels a little bit heady, like a little more. Yeah. Cere- yeah. A little more cerebral engineer types, you uh-huh. know, fives on the Enneagram, like engineer types are wonderful. They're like amazing people. And a lot of them are very heady and struggle to feel struggle yeah. to empathize. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be around people who know how to feel because I want my feelings held, you know, because people who have felt before and can feel deeply are very good at holding space for other people's feelings. Yeah, it's so funny that you're not, I mean, not funny, but it's interesting you're talking about this because I just, I mean, I'm seeing all these different people that I'm getting to know and a little mantourage right now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I can't believe I just said that, but it's like a mantourage. <laughs> I, I love that term. You know, I just talk, you know, it's sometimes it's at my own risk, but one of them feels pretty heady. And I said to him, you should read my book. And I'm like, obviously that's a time investment, which I might not be deserving from you at this time. But if you decide you really like me, read my book. Cause you're either going to think I'm on acid and I'm your worst nightmare, or yeah. you're going to love me. So this could be a great help for us. Uh-huh. So he said, it's coming on Monday. I'm like, all right. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like per your request. I'm like, let me scare you away or bring you forward. But yeah. it's unfortunately, yeah. it's like Donald Trump on The Apprentice vibes. I'm like, you're fired or you're here. <laughs> you know, dude, um, you have little time. Your time is precious. I, I think yeah. it's higher and fire fast, right? Yeah, exactly. I've got a dog. I've got, I don't even know. Life. I got, I don't even know if I have that much of a life. I do, but you know, <laughs> let's just say that I do. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you about safety? Let me say something. You said yeah. something interesting a few minutes ago, which is people claim they're kind of available and ready and mm-hmm. they're maybe not. Yeah. Here's a telltale, here's a telltale sign of someone who's not ready is people who keep choosing unavailable partners. 
because you you only choose and stay with unavailable people if you're unavailable. Mm-hmm. If you were available, you would make different choices because it's safe. It's I don't have to open my heart if you're unavailable because it feels unsafe, and so I'm not going to open it to you. Well, but here's my challenge: there is that it's, we live in the gray, right? It's not so much like the doors locked or unlocked. We're available, we're not available. It's like yeah. some people are available in some ways and not in others, and it's almost hard to distinguish between is this just like a shortcoming they have that they're going to work on and they're a human yeah. and they're imperfect or is this someone that is mirroring back to me that i've got some serious work to do maybe it's both but as far as the nuance of that goes that's something i personally struggle with i look at my last relationship and i love that guy to pieces and i know he loved me too and he was so available in certain ways and so not in others yeah so it's yeah. very confusing in that regard. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm guess I'm talking more about available to do the work, available mm. to feel emotions, available to feel your emotions, available to have hard conversations. Mm. That's the kind of availability I'm talking about. And then they can be less available in terms of their time. Mm-hmm. But if they have that other thing and they make me a priority, I'm in. I'm yeah. that's attractive. That's okay. I love that. And I also feel like for me, I'm experiencing a lot of people that I'm like, hey, I want to have kids and get married. And they're like, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's not a decision I take lightly, but that's what I'm looking for. Sometimes when I hear them say that, I feel like I've been with so many, I've dated so many men in my little mantourage that mm-hmm. I'm like, that's like a token thing they say when they're actually scared. It's hard to know, right? Like I yeah. need to work on my own trauma, my own disappointments to be able to hold what I'm hearing from people and remember that each person is different. And obviously there's some token things that are said that are all the same red flag, but holding that space. So how do people heal from past pains? What is your favorite way of working on yourself? Maybe something small, low hanging fruit, but high value that people start to consider. Yeah. Let me say, let me speak to the token comments first. The token comment, all that, that can be eradicated by just asking way more questions about that. So if he says, yeah, me too. I'm thinking about a family for sure. It's great. How long have you been thinking about that? Tell How many? What do you think about being a father? Like you're going to find pretty quick that they haven't thought about it actually that much. Mm-hmm. If you want to ask a lot of deep kind of probing, not probing as in judgy probing, but probing questions about tell me more. And because you can, I think you can tell with follow-up questions, if people are just saying shit. Right. And I think people believe it. That's the thing. There have been friends that I love and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to come on that vacation. There's research that shows I'm, I'm, I've written and booked, uh, I wrote 40 TED Talks for clients last year and I booked 39 of them on stage. Dude, congratulations. Thank you. It's been really fun. One of the TED Talks I was writing, I did some research for that talk on, I had my associate speechwriter help me with the research on impulse decision-making. And when we're excited we obviously tend to make impulse decisions, kind of poor decisions, because yeah. impulse isn't always the best. I feel like sometimes I can get it when people will just talk, like they really believe what they're saying. There are times where my friends are like, let's go to Bali for three weeks. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm in. And then I'm like, wait a minute. As soon as my brain starts to come back online, I'm uh-huh. driving home and every mile towards my house, I'm like, wait a minute, I got my 100 pound wolf <laughs> dog. I got that really big meeting and, you know, oh yeah i got that doctor's okay i don't know if i could do this so i Mm -hmm. feel like it's very natural for people to kind of back up so i guess is there something that indicates embodiment would you just say it's on the other person to really feel that truth from someone else or how that 
Yeah. I mean, look, family is a major deal. I think if you're bullshitting that one, it's pretty easy to tell. Harder to tell. Like people can smoke screen though. Yeah. I'm into growth too. You know, I'm into, I read Wayne Dyer and I've been to a Tony Robbins seminar and because that's, I don't know. Again, that one's worth asking way more questions about how much therapy have you actually done? When times get tough, what do you actually do? Yeah. I want to come back to your question though about, was it about how do you heal after breakups kind of thing? How do you not carry a shitty thing that you've heard before into someone else that's saying the same thing? How do you carry an old experience from a partner who really disappointed you because he was a workaholic like mine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's another guy that's really hardworking. He's really busy, but he's a totally different guy. How do you... Uh How do you not like project that? Yeah. How do you not project onto people your old experiences and not give them the benefit of the doubt while also being smart? Learning from your mistakes, learning yeah. from your experiences. Yeah, because you want to give the new workaholic a chance because maybe they're totally different. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think we've really healed our past. Like we only carry that negative memory forward if we're still grieving or still really bummed out about it and really hurt about it. I think there is a time and a place where we know we've healed when we're grateful for the lessons it taught us. It was a training partner. It's not like a, oh shit, I should have made that work. I wish, you know, guilt and shame, shaming ourselves or feeling bad about their feelings and how we broke their heart or whatever. It's just, that's what happened. I'm a different person now. These are the five lessons I learned. And you got to be able to articulate a couple lessons to a friend that makes sense, that are coherent and that have a meaningful narrative to them. That's, yeah, I learned that I overgave. I learned that I didn't stand up for myself. I learned that I didn't use my voice and I'm fucking done with that. I'm moving forward. I'm using my voice. So if I'm in the exact same partnership, here's what's going to be different. Here's Mm. how I'm going to show up differently with a workaholic or someone who works and has a startup. These are the five things I'm going to do differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's not a, oh shit, this person's the same. I better steer clear. It's this person's similar and I'm stronger. I'm different. So I can handle them differently. Mm-hmm. I can check this out differently. I can ask. Yeah. I can be curious. I can I advocate for myself differently. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you before we go? Because this has been such a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think so. I, you've asked me some great questions. I just really, I always appreciate you and your transparency and your willingness to put yourself out there. And I, I think there are a lot of people in this situation. So I, I hope some of what I've shared has been valuable. Thanks, Jason, for being here. Thanks for everybody for listening to me chew on my lunch salad. You know, I just feel like in the business world, there's too many rules about being professional. And I want to write a whole Instagram post about taking a stand for the typo and being imperfect. Hey, man, please do. It's like the amount of stress we put on ourselves for a typo in an email. I'm like, that's called being a human. That doesn't have to mean anything else. Yeah. So everybody, if you heard my human chewing on a salad, thank you for your support. (laughs) And Jason, where can everybody find you and keep learning from you? Yeah, Jason Gaddis on Instagram. That's Jason with a Y or Relationship School and com and Relationship School podcast there. And Ashley's been on that podcast before. So good. Thank you again for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. It was great. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. 
Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.